Well, hey, everybody, welcome back to this week's Grip Wild Men Who Matter podcast. Excited to be with you again. And this week, we're sitting down with a good friend of ours, William McKenzie. Man, when we met William and heard his story, it really, uh, man, it was amazing. It really did penetrate my soul, and and it was it was quite a mesmerizing uh, story. It was you know, over a campfire uh, one evening, and and so we thought, man, let's let's have William come in and and share his story, and so we hope that it'll be encouraging to you. We hope that it'll hit home to you, um, and I think you'll enjoy it. So, welcome, William. Man, thank you, brother. Thank you, Grip Wild, for all you guys are doing. William, I'm I'm thankful that you gave us an opportunity to come in and talk today. I just really wanted to share your story and share a little bit about who you are with, with our listeners because one of the things that we really try to do with this podcast is we want to make an example of men who matter. And we want to find those men out there in our world who understand their passion and their gifting and the things that God has given them but they're leveraging it for so much more than just their field. And, and William, I believe you're doing that every day. So why don't you share a little bit about what you do and why you do it and then how you're, how you're making an impact. Yeah, well, sure. Thanks for the generous introduction. But man, so I am a lawyer, but that's only kind of a, a piece of the puzzle of, of what God's put me on earth to do. One of my passions, besides my wife and three kids, is you know, leading small groups and getting to know men. And I guess my life message is, is that God is so real, so authentic, and so relevant that I, I want other men to kind of experience what I've experienced in that regard. So m- my practice of law kind of gives me a little bit of credibility when I invite somebody to a small group that I'm leading. Um, and, a lot, and I can reach guys that pastors can't sometimes. Like They'll come to a group that I'm leading because, hey, it's my lawyer buddy leading it instead of um, a, a preacher or somebody. So it, I, I've, I've enjoyed the kind of the extra level of influence it's given me because people think that I, I'll have my things in order if they come to my small group. How, how have you in your journey of just kind of exercising your passion for law, really, which is a passion for people, how, how have you really seen that impact, folks, over the years as you've kind of worked outside the courtroom to really have an impact? Yeah, you know, part of being a lawyer, they, they call us counselors as well. And um, really the big deal about being a counselor is just helping other people kind of pinpoint the main issue. So if it's a client of mine, i got to help them pinpoint the legal issue or pinpoint their exposure to something they've done wrong and maybe the consequences. And it really translates well when I'm trying to just love other people the way Jesus did. You know, I'm, I'm just trying to help them get from point A to point B. And um, I try to use you know, the biblical principles to do that. But what I found what really helps the most is usually my own story, my own struggles, the things that God's taught me you know, kind of in the trenches. And so I'm a counselor inside the office and outside the office in a way. And I got, of course, guys that counsel me. And that's kind of the way the kingdom works in my life. So you just said a word that's a, a pretty pretty big word in my, in my life. You said your story. You use your story. And one of the things that I like to say, and I really believe this, is that our stories connect us to people. Mm-hmm. And, our, and people always connect us to our purpose. That's right. And, and what I mean by that is... It, I have a story and you have a story. And what happens a lot of times when I share my story and you share your story, we find a commonality. We find a place that our paths cross and then a relationship is formed. And so our stories have now connected us to one another. And it's only in those seasons where we stay connected to people that we see a more clear picture of why we're here, you know, what we're good at and how we can make an impact. And so you've got a great story. 
that I want you to tell today about just kind of how you grew up and in the outdoors, the relationship of, of your with your dad and how he introduced you to duck hunting, which is something that you and I share in common that we love to do. And what a, it's just a great story. So I'm going to just invite you now. Just just tell us that story. I mean, I'd love to. Um, we, as you can probably tell from my accent, I grew up in Mississippi in a little small <laughs> town on the edge of the Delta. Not New Jersey. That's right. So where maybe a New Jersey kid was dreaming about hockey, I was just reading Ducks Limited magazines, and I was dreaming about duck hunting. I mean, even from, from seven or eight years old, I remember my dad checking me out of school to take me hunting. And um, duck season was always a big deal around our house. And it became kind of the main arena for my dad and I to connect in. And um, so growing up with that, I'd always equated duck hunting with kind of intimacy with my dad. And it was just a great, great thing that we enjoyed together. Loved it. And the, part of the issue was, um, despite having great parents who set great examples for me, is that I went to Ole Miss and kind of my goal there was just to be a fraternity guy and have a lot of fun. And the issue was, it really got me away from the Lord. And um, I even got arrested my freshman year, walking home drunk from the bar. And I remember thinking, having to call my dad the next morning and tell him that when he himself was an attorney and a judge, and he kind of stood for everything right, something changed in the way I saw myself after that day. Um, So that was my freshman year. And by the time I got to my sophomore year at Ole Miss, I've been living in the fraternity house for a year. And, you know, there's girls coming over all the time. The party basically comes to you every night there. And um, part of me um, kind of died inside. My relationship with God, to the extent that I had one, was really zero at that point. So kind of the, an event that happened between my dad and I, he called me. He never quit reaching out to me during that time, even though I didn't feel worthy to be his son anymore, really. Um, he still showed love. And I remember before duck season, my sophomore year, he called me about November and said, Hey, William. You know, we got lots of ducks, lots of water. Season opens in two weeks. Why don't you go by Hunter's Hollow, which is a hunting store in Oxford, Mississippi, where I was living. He says, go by Hunter's Hollow and get yourself a new Benelli. Now, Benelli's, you know, for you duck hunters, you know that it's one of the best Italian shotguns. And I'd maybe mentioned it in front of him that before that I'd wanted one so badly. But something happened on that phone call when he offered me the gun that I'd been dreaming of. I, it's like I tightened up and put the brakes on. I, I couldn't receive it. I said, Dad, man, I, I can't spend your money. You're already spending too much on me at college. And basically, I felt unworthy. It was weird, Brandon, because I was like, man, I, I, I can't do it, Dad. He's like, oh, okay, okay. I could tell he was disappointed, but um, he kind of rolled with it, and we went on. But then I had this dilemma. I still wanted the gun. So what I ended up <laughs> doing is calling around a bunch of pawn shops and finding one for a few hundred bucks. And so instead of using his money, I ended up using some money I'd earned bush hogging the summer before and and this is money I worked hard for, honestly. I, that was mosquitoes and fire ants and sunburn. And yeah. So by the sweat of my own hands, I, I bought a subpar gun. Because the vanilla I ended up getting was like the old model, Super Black Eagle 1. It was all, I mean, even the bluing was off of it. It had been recoated in car paint. And um, so I guess what I would say about that is that I had to settle for less than the best that my dad would have given me at that point. Mm. And um, even that gun, even the functionality of it wasn't up to par. I'm telling you, I, I would have pintails t- pin in the decoys, and that gun would lock up on me. And I bet you there's still gobblers walking this earth right now because of, <laughs> because of that gun. <laughs> but, well, I guess my story goes on real quick. It, it's um, By that summer of my sophomore year, I went out to live with my granddad, who had a ranch in, Col- in Colorado. And I worked on his ranch, and I met some Christian friends out there. And long story short, God changed my life. I went fly fishing every day on the Poudre River. And um, during that course of trying to catch trout, 
which was hard for a Mississippi boy who was just used to catching bass, you know, at spending time on that river, God started softening my heart. I can't explain it. I mean, I, I even had a dip of skull in my mouth at the time. It, that, didn't, that didn't bother him. Mm. I just felt pursued by my Heavenly Father. And um, so much so, that, I mean, that I ended up giving my life to him again. And this time I fully surrendered. And I remember it kind of came to a, an apex on a camping trip. I was with some guys I'd met out there that summer, and we were fishing and camping beside the Puda River. And um, I asked him to baptize me in that river while I was out there. So I knew that was kind of a turning point for me. Um, but I ended up coming back to Ole Miss for my junior year now. Life changed. And I was still going to live in the fraternity house again. And so really the circumstances didn't change, but I had changed. Right. And, um, and I was nervous I was going to fall back into the same temptations. But this time what happened is I started living a life of significance because of my new heart that God gave me. He really changed my personality, Brandon. It's cra- I'm just one of those dudes maybe you've heard about that had a complete life change. Yeah. And I'd even been elected pledge trainer the semester before that because I was such a hellion. They wanted me to train the new freshman to be kind of a ladies' man or smooth or whatever you want to call it, basically be a heathen like I was. Um, but since my heart had changed, I started using that opportunity to lead Bible studies in my fraternity house, and I ended up having— Hello. That, yeah, it was crazy. And with, with the craziest part, the people came. It's like God changed the way they saw me. Like they didn't remember that I was the same guy drinking Jim Beam, tackling trash cans a semester before. They're like, oh, McKenzie's having a Bible study? I'll come to that. So I can't explain it why people would even give me any credibility because I had none. But God basically changed the way they even saw me. Had 32 pledges give their life to Christ that semester. Come on. Yeah, it was, it was wild. And it, so it changed the completely, completely changed the way I saw myself and my purpose. I said, God, if you use me to fish for men, man, I'll be the most intense fisherman you'll ever see. And um, so fast forwarding now, I mean, 17 years, God continued to kind of use me in different places, and I found significance in that. I mean, it helped me wake up every morning fired up, knowing that God could use me, of all people. And to see supernatural results kept me motivated. But 17 years after that, you know, my dad's dying of cancer. And um, at this point, facing uh, duck season, you know, I didn't know if it was going to be our... <clears throat> sorry. I didn't know if it was going to be our last season or what, but... I remember my phone ringing and him saying, Hey, William. I said, Hey, Dad. He says, Won't you stop by Hunter's Hollow and get yourself a new Benelli? So, you know, like in a way, it's like deja vu, you know. Uh, second chance. Second chance. Absolutely. And so knowing what I know now, what a God had taught me, is that a, a son has to be able to receive. You know, so before I couldn't receive it because I felt unworthy. But I realized it wasn't just about me getting a gun. I didn't even really need at that point. It was about my father wanting to give me something. So I said, Dad, man, I would be, I would love to have a new Benelli. Thank you so much. And I remember stopping by and getting it on the way home and showing it to him, and we got to rejoice together. And um, so the shotgun story has kind of become an allegory between my my earthly father and my heavenly father. You know, where before I felt unworthy and didn't even feel like I was worthy to be a son. And then the second redemption story, the second chances you said. It uh, gave me a chance to fully receive, and man, that's that's been the biggest difference in my life. Man, to fully receive all that God had for me. What an awesome story that you have that you get to look back on. I mm. mean, it's your story. Yeah, it's not somebody else's. And I think we all have a story like that. It's hard to see sometimes. We haven't seen it yet. Maybe you're in the middle of it and you don't see it. But I promise you, you have a story. If you're listening to this, you have a story, and there's redemption in it. Let me ask you this, because I, I've known you uh, a while, and I know your story, 
and I see you living it out, so I know that what you're saying is the truth. But what about for the people that are listening that that, that does sound a little bit um, Hollywood, if you will, this, this, this miraculous bang, this overnight switch where you come back to Ole Miss for your junior year and you're a different person. Um, I know that the power of God is, is imminent, and, and he certainly can do those sort of things. But could you help us out maybe just with one or two things that you you did in that process to continue that momentum, right? Because yeah. one of the things that we talk about is that consistency creates integrity. Hmm. And integrity is pivotal yeah. for you to be an influencer. Well, that's a great question. So, yeah, practically what I did as I got back to Ole Miss, I started reading my Bible every day. I didn't really understand it at first. I didn't really get the whole thing about being – I didn't realize that you could actually read the, the, the Bible and then it would, God could speak to you through that. I thought you read the Bible to get principles, the same way I read a legal book to get law, you know. But really, I didn't realize that it, be, it becomes, instead of becoming like one-dimensional words on paper, it becomes like a 3D image that can jump out at you and God speaks. So when I started getting those revelations, it's kind of like when you start catching fish, when you're fishing. Man, I started getting excited about casting. So every day I got excited about reading the Word. And the main thing I did was I changed some friend groups. Um, you know, I started getting around Christian, getting around those Christian guys in Colorado the summer when my life changed, really changed me. Because I realized, and it was humbling at first, that they had something I didn't. And I was raised in church. But they had a passion I didn't have. So I started surrounding myself with passionate people. Um, and even guys that, you know, that weren't in fraternities or in different fraternities, I didn't care anymore about that whole Greek life. It, it didn't, all I cared about was who was getting some of God, because that's what I want. Because you know, I kind of like, I had tasted and seen that he was good, so I just wanted more. Um, and then, you know, I remember, this is a funny story too, I asked for a rifle for my 21st birthday. I was like, Mom, I want a new deer rifle. She got me a laptop computer. This is funny. <laughs> I, I was so mad. Not up, exactly the same. Not at all. You can't kill a deer with a laptop unless like you're really <laughs> lethal, you know, dropping it or something. But um, but I remember one of my bro fraternity brothers borrowed it and dropped it um, and broke it. And it ended up being like the biggest blessing that it broke because that's right when the internet was kind of getting booming and dude, pornography was everywhere. So by that computer getting broken, like I never got snared by the online pornography movement that swept the house when I was living there. And so that was a big thing. So, you know, I didn't plan that. God just kind of sovereignly orchestrated some of that stuff to keep me out of trouble. You mentioned two things that I'm really, I'm really glad you hit on. The first one being your consistency in reading the Bible, or as I would say, you know, finding a consistent method to make sure that what you're putting in is healthy. In other words, you know, what you're consuming, whether it's media-wise, book-wise, what you see, what you hear, what you listen to, what you watch, right? Because so much of what we put in shapes how we see ourselves. And what I hear in your story, not only is it a shift in your heart that God shifted you and he did some, some miraculous things in how other people perceived you, but the greatest shift perhaps in your story was how you saw the guy in the mirror. Yeah, absolutely. Right? And so what we, what we consume really shapes what we see. And so your consistency in, in consuming the things of God, the things that were encouraging, that built you up, that called out this purpose in your life, was a huge, a huge component to your, your success and your momentum. The other one, equally as critical, was who you surrounded yourself with. And we mentioned a couple of weeks ago on the podcast that you know isolation is where the devil does his best work, is when we get mm -hmm. alone and he can get us by ourselves and get us away from influences that are good, because then we just start to listen to the guy in the mirror, and the guy in the mirror is a liar. And so your, 
your willingness to to look for a new group of relationships because of your experience in Colorado this summer before when you came back to Oxford, putting yourself around uh, people that were encouraging, that were uplifting, that were a support system, that were also kind of moving in the direction that your heart was moving in, you know, towards the things of God, compounded with your consistency and what you were consuming Mm -hmm. and your reading of the Bible, I think was key ingredients for you to have this momentous shift, not only in what you saw in front of you, but how you saw yourself. That's right. See, and that also helped me recognize how I could fill a need in people's lives. See, men need men they think are cool, respect, to reach out to them. I mean, a lot of men won't even go to church. And hey, I get it. I mean, a lot of churches are boring and fun. I get that. But if, if I figure if I could be somebody that they thought was normal, that was relevant, somebody they respected or trusted at least, that was and how I do that, I just, I'm just authentic. I'll tell people, you know, warts and all, you get to see William. And, but men need friends like that, someone who's pursuing the Lord, but who's not totally irrelevant to their life. And so I've tried to become that guy. Paul says, I'll become all things to all people. I've tried to reach out to guys through outdoor small groups, through running small groups, through financial small groups. Anything, if I can add value to them, I would do anything they need. But, I, I'll, and, but my, own, my whole motivation for doing that is simply that they, they can know how good the Lord is. Um, even if he never does anything for you, which he will, but even if he never did anything for me, it's worth it just knowing him for him. And that's my life message. Before I went to Colorado that summer and got my life changed, I never knew how precious he was and how enjoyable the Lord himself was. And so now, man, it's just flipped everything. My, my motivation, I mean, used to, I had to go sit on the deer stand or get in the duck blind just to feel any measure of peace. And now I have peace everywhere I go. And I remember, I remember, I remember getting up before high school and go bow hunting in the mornings just so I could feel a little bit of, just a little bit of relaxation. You know, the calming nature. And you don't have to believe. You, have to, you don't even have to be a believer to feel, you know, calm in nature. It's beautiful. It's wonderful. But now I love that I can take that same peace, that calm, which is even deeper and richer, with me in the courtroom or wherever I go. I just realize that I'm a son of God. So. You know, the core of my message to, to people, especially when they're struggling, men, we obviously, we feel a lot of pressure produced financially. And what I like to tell men is that, man, the kingdom of God's about receiving, just like me and my gun. I mean, God will give you everything you need. But if, you, if you're gripping tight, there's kind of like an orphan mentality or orphan spirit. And some men think that it's up to them, and, it's, and then we manipulate, and we, we're always worried about our reputation or getting our piece of the pie, kind of a scarcity mentality, if you will. But once you experience the love and acceptance of God, it kind of flips to an abundance mentality. Hey, there's going to be enough out there for me. Every day, I don't have to stress it. And so used to, I would have to do like, I would do financial spreadsheets all the time, trying to make my budget work on paper. And that's important. Stewardship's important. But when you have this abundance mentality that God's going to meet all your needs and he wants to bless you, when you really believe that you're a son with a full inheritance, with access to everything that's in the kingdom, it changes the whole perspective because there's no fear anymore. There's no anxiety. Yeah, man, living life like that, oh, I'd take that any day of the week um, over what I used to feel like. William, thank you so much for sharing your story. Man, I know that it's a powerful story. It's an emotional story for you. It's, mm. it's something that's changed my life um, since I heard it the first time in our relationship. And so I just thank you for your openness and your honesty. And, man, I just wish you all the best in your field, in the courtroom and out of the courtroom. I just want you to hear from me and know this. You are changing lives. You are, you are a man who matters. You are making an impact, and you are living a life of significance that is building a legacy. So thank you very much for, for coming in today and, and just sharing that with us. And, man, I can't, I can't wait to see what's next for you. 
For Stephen Wisdom, I'm Brandon Broach. You've been listening to the Grip Wild Men Who Matter podcast. Thanks for tuning in. And remember, you are a man who matters.